Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and myself are professional automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. Ben, do you want to tell some people where they can find your latest work? You can find my work at Inside Hook, at Motor Trend, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at Driving.ca, as well as TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week, let's talk... Um, well, I don't think we're going to shake things up. I think we should talk about cars. What do you say? I think that's a safe bet. Okay. Um, I think you have the more exciting car between the two of us. Um, and I'm actually really eager to hear your thoughts on it. So uh, I also started... have the only car between the two of us, and that's kind of the point of this vehicle. It is the 2021 Mercedes-AMG E63 S4MATIC Wagon, Sammy. How many of the – you need to dumb this down for me. That was too long of a name, and I passed out halfway while you were describing the name of this vehicle and woke <laughs> up just when you said my name. What I realized is that the majority of the letters in this name are not words. Like, <laughs> yes. there's there's two words in the whole name, Mercedes and wagon. Everything else <laughs> oh. is jargon. But it breaks right. down to uh, the E-Class wagon with a crazy twin-turbo 4-liter V8. And a ton of power. And the reason I said I have the only car is because I believe I'm, I'm going to spoil it for listeners. Sammy's going to talk about some crossovers. But whenever you hear about, you know, family vehicles these days, they tend to be SUVs or crossovers. And Mercedes-Benz is has been committed since 2005 in North America, actually, to making a really, really fast version of its midsize wagon that almost nobody buys, yet they keep it in the lineup year after year because it's pretty cool. And they're happy to, you know, have sell 100 or 200 or 300 a year, however many of these are. I know that when it first came out, it was like just over 100 were going out the door. But now I think right. sales have kind of pushed up a little bit higher. They're happy to do that, even though they sell the exact same package, drivetrain-wise and interior space-wise, in vehicles like the GLE, which also has a, an AMG E63, or sorry, AMG 63 version. So it's important to talk about the um, E-Class wagon because there are two ways to get it in um, the USA. One is with this AMG package, and the other one is, I don't know how else to describe it, a tank version of the car? It's called yeah. an all-terrain wagon? It's like, like an, it's like an Outback, but like way oh, more right. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can't get a normal wagon anymore from Mercedes. You have to get what is pretending to be a crossover or one that has... More power than than possibly imagined. Can you get a right? C class wagon in the U.S.? I don't think you can. Not a chance. Okay, you can in Canada. And in fact, I think maybe you could, maybe a used one. You can get a C forty three AMG version of that C class wagon in Canada as well. Uh, but the E class, you're right, and the price differential between the two models is is substantial. So the uh, the tank version, which also comes with a third row of seating. Wait, can rear. we talk about this? It's literally called the all-terrain wagon. It is it is called an all-terrain... Like, they almost called it an all-terrain vehicle, but instead, ATW. ATW. It, it yeah. starts at 67000 okay. And if you want to get the AMG version of the vehicle, it starts at 112000 Okay. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's almost twice the price. And you don't get that third row of seating anymore. Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay. Um... 
So then let's get started about this uh, this AMG E63 wagon. I think this is pretty exciting because it means uh, you've got a speedy, practical vehicle, right? Yeah, that's, vehicle. I mean, it's an interesting time to be a wagon fan because after wandering in the wilderness for a long time, pretty much Volvo and Mercedes are the only companies that have stayed devoted to the idea of wagons and performance wagons, especially in North America. In Europe, you can get performance versions of everything, but... Uh, really, in the in the U.S. and Canada, it's been those two brands. Now, Audi has made wagons, BMW has made wagons, but not consistently in the same way that those two companies have. The uh, why 2021 is so unique is it's the first year you could get an, an Audi RS6 Avant, the yep. E63s, and the Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo. So these are all roughly 600 horsepower, almost the same size luxury wagons. And, it, it, like, last year or the year before, you, you could only get the E. Like, yeah, you could only it. get the like, AMG. God, it was, please, no wagons. And now we've got three pretty solid options. Uh, I, I am looking at the Audi website now, and they as well have a tank version of the A6 wagon called the All Road. Um, so I don't know what this trend is, but apparently there's people out there the, who want... The trend is you can only go off-road or on the track if you have a wagon. No one <laughs> yeah. buys a wagon for its wagon purpose anymore. It's it's we'll, only a smokescreen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's so weird. Okay, so now we've got a lot of options, and you've tested, um, I think, one of the more popular ones. One's that's been, one that has been around for a while, this E63 yeah, wagon, it's the, right? it's the elder statesperson of the, the wagon world. There's no question there, especially the high-performance wagon world. It's outlasted the CTSV wagon. It has um, endured the loneliness of being the only performance wagon out there, unless you kind of count the Polestar version of the uh, V60. Uh, I and don't. <laughs> You don't? Okay. No. Harsh words. Um, but uh, I, I had driven the RS6 last month. We did a podcast on that, an episode on that. And I really like the RS6. Uh, it's an interesting combination of hyper-aggressive styling and a uh, a drivetrain you can live with every day that's still really, really fast in a straight line, but it wasn't super engaging to drive. It was kind of that arm's length luxury feel where you're having a, you're having a speed experience, not necessarily a driving experience. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of high-end luxury cars kind of feel that way now. So I was we, curious. Can I, can, I, can I stop you there? Because we've expressed this before in the past. A lot of these, mid, uh, these mid-executive level um, speed machines, I don't know what the, the best way to call them, sports sedans, um, do this. They're, they seem more oriented up towards like luxury, and they kind of keep that driving engagement, engagement feel at arm's length. The only model that I can recall in recent history that didn't kind of coddle you in the same way would be the CTSV when it was like a, a real CTSV. Wow. Does that make sense? A real CTSV. What, what does that mean to you? Well, because now they've changed the CT5V, and it's not the same like wild horsepower i see what you're saying yeah it did feel a little more visceral although the 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 latest generation ctsv was pretty big and i think that that you know took the edge off just a little i I remember that being very impressive to drive that one felt like you were connected it was it felt lightweight it felt like a joy um and it's not to say that the m5 or the rs6 or the e63 isn't but they're just not the the sport sedan aspect or the sport wagon aspect of it is almost exclusively for straight line speed. Yeah, it's you hit the you hit the nail on the head when you use the word executive. I mean, these are these are cars that are designed to be high end, expensive, and impressive to people who know what they are. 
and they're not going to be taken on a racetrack and they're not going to be, you know, necessarily flogged through a canyon if you're if you live in California. I mean, you can do that, but it's not a super rewarding thing to do. It, it's it's an it's an Autobahn cruiser at with a 180 mile an hour top speed. Uh it's it's a pretty wild package. What's interesting though is so this is a vehicle that is uh like I mentioned before, kind of the equivalent of the GLE SUV, but in a straight line it goes six miles an hour faster at the top end, and it has three more cubic feet of cargo space inside. It's and, better than a GLE. Yeah, it's better. I mean, it's lighter and it's lower, and it handles a little bit better too. So it's it's interesting though that they're so close yet so far in terms of the overall package. The other thing that's really crazy about this wagon is 603 horsepower, 627 pound feet of torque, and standard all wheel drive. With launch control, it does zero to sixty in three seconds. Sammy, wow. Um, that's insane. That's those, that's Corvette C8 of, fast. That is yeah. Porsche 911 Turbo fast. Like it's within point one or point zero one, point zero two, whatever seconds of those vehicles. Which is like, those are super. Those are exotics. I don't, I don't know what to call them. They're supercars. They're supercar killers. They're exotics. Like they're they're insane cars. This is a wagon, a family vehicle, a family oriented vehicle, or a practical uh, use vehicle, and it can do this the same kind of. Speed. You could go 180 miles an hour with 64 cubic feet of groceries in the back, Sammy. Try, try doing <laughs> that in your 911. Measure, that's not how I measure my groceries. How do you measure know. your groceries? By the in, kilo? In bags. Yeah, By the hectare? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many bags of groceries? And are these like reusable bags, plastic bags? Oh, they're definitely bags? not reusable. No. Oh, okay. They're, so they're actually all about excess. Yeah, they're actually made and of waste. platinum. It's no, super impractical. It's a single use material. It's a single use platinum bag. <laughs> um, I like it. So the car, as expected, is stupid fast. I mean, it is a very, very quick car. There's no Does surprises. Does that get boring? There. I'm sorry? Does that get boring, that speed, that performance, that situation or does it sound so good does it feel good it doesn't sound like that? particularly good it sounds fine huh? but it's not like it's not an intoxicating kind of sound it's actually fairly muted and, and sedate no uh, take that back that can't be true this no I'm, I'm not saying it sounds bad i'm just saying it doesn't sound crazy like it doesn't sound AMG always sound ridiculous if no, i remember correctly not... sound like buzz saws and like lawnmowers and like every noise you can think of and a monster truck all put together. No, it's not like an F-type Jaguar or something like that. It's it's very it's it's a civilized exhaust note. Uh, but it, it, to answer your question as to whether it gets boring, I'm not a top speed guy anymore. Not for maybe 10, 15 years. I kind of got that out of my system. There are not a lot of places where you can test these vehicles to the limit and not encounter traffic, unless you live you know out in the plains or the prairies or something like that, where there's there's more straight line space. Uh, it. I get tired of extreme speed. I mean, yeah, it's fun and it makes you giggle for a while, but I'm more about the whole package of the car. So if that's your whole thing, then you'll be really happy with a vehicle like this, especially once you take it out of comfort mode and put it in sport, sport plus, race or drift. You know, there's so many different uh, drive modes for this car. Why are Um, there so many drive modes? Because it really changes the character of it. And this is something I kind of wanted to get into with the E63 wagon. So... So much of the fun factor of this is the fact that it is a useful and um, unexpected high-performance vehicle. No one expects a high-performance wagon. But when you're just driving it normally, there are some cracks in the image of this car that really surprised me, especially as compared to the RS6. Okay. When it's in comfort mode, 
it doesn't like to be driven slowly. The, there's something about that nine-speed transmission, and I noticed this in the GLE as well. It has, I don't want to use the word hesitance, hesit- uh, hesitancy, but there's something about the first few gears where you can get a shutter or maybe the response isn't as good as you would want it to be. It's trying to keep everything under control, and as a result of doing that, it kind of, it, being smooth and slow is not the strong suit of AMG, I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, if I remember correctly, sometimes this nine speed, like at low speeds or moderate speeds, just like clunks into like a gear. Is that the best way to describe it? It's just it, like kind of like it, you feel shift shock, even though you're not doing anything particularly demanding of the car. I didn't have that happen. It was more like okay. a shudder or an uncertainty, I would say. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's a bit unfortunate. Now, yeah, but if you put it in sport, that goes away. Like, it, it instantly goes away, and suddenly you're driving a car that is absurdly quick and does everything you need it to do. Uh, well, it just it, doesn't shift. It's always on, like, full blast, right? Yeah, it's, full blast is a good way to put what it's like to drive this car quickly. Um, I also want to mention, I said the price starts at 112000 but you can add, like... You know, forty thousand dollars worth of options. I think. <laughs> Holy moly! For, so eighty percent of the price of the other wagon that Mercedes offers. Let me double check. I, I know you can really get you can get this up to I think one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> so that's that's a fair amount of coin. That's wild. Um, I you sent me a photo of this uh, of the interior of this car, and I was uh, a little confused as to what was how many mini steering wheels there seemed to be on the steering wheel. Yeah, the steering wheel. So. <laughs> This is another thing about driving the um, AMG on a regular basis, on a daily basis, that is a little bit off-putting. Mercedes has gone all in on the MBUX system, MBUX. It's their infotainment. Uh, it has a big touchscreen on the center. It has a secondary screen. The gauge cluster functions as an extension of the infotainment system. Mm-hmm. And to control all of this, there are two trackpads, right? Well, there's these two tiny, tiny, tiny buttons on the steering wheel that you're supposed to put your your pinky finger on. I, I can't figure it out. No, your thumb. Yeah, my thumb is too big for that, Sammy. Oh, no. So okay. <laughs> it's it's difficult to, to use. It's But not only is it difficult to use, it's, uh, it's difficult to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing in these menus because the menus can move from one screen to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, navigating them requires sometimes choosing sub-menus that pop out from places. Like, for me, just getting... Here's a great example. The heads-up display in this vehicle was too low when I got in the car. I could only see half of it. Oh. In, in the infotainment system on the center stack, there was no way to adjust it. You have to do it through the gauge cluster. And through the gauge cluster, it's a pop-up menu that says HHUD that's above the standard menus. Just getting to that pop-up menu is a hassle. Figuring out which... you don't know what, like, what, no, what of, which one of those tiny touchpads sends your selector. You know, there is no cursor. But no, there's basically. nothing. And, 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 but and it's it gets, like a subtle highlight that is everything, right? It gets you have worse. To pay attention to that. It gets worse, Sammy. Because oh, no. once you've selected the uh, HUD, it doesn't allow you to adjust it on the screen you were just looking at, the gauge cluster. You have to turn your attention to the HUD <laughs> itself, which has a secondary options button to the far right, but only on one version of the screen. There's like four or five different no, HUD no, no. displays. Time out. Time out. I can't see the I can't see the HUD. In order for me to adjust the HUD, you I have, have to, to look see at the, the HUD. HUD. <laughs> that doesn't work. You can't no. do that. <laughs> and and getting over to that little button is not easy because you have to go through three screens. <laughs> then you then th- that screen itself is display is cut into th- in cut into thirds. Once you get on that screen, there's a few ways to adjust it, but they're really not clear. And all this is happening like 
with that tiny little thumb button that's now projected out over the hood. So and uh, yeah, you know, like uh, let a deity take the take the wheel while you're uh, while you're trying to do it in, in action, right? In mo- in movement, right? If like any of that for- sounds frustrating to you. Then amplify that across all the other things you're going to want to do with the vehicle. And you have an idea of kind of what's up when I say MBUX is confusing to use. And we haven't even talked about the fact that the steering wheel is split into, like, veins. There's, like, there's like two veins on, on either side of the center of the steering wheel. And Are then, you calling the spokes veins? Spokes, like, yeah. Like, I mean, like, veins in a fan blade. You know what I mean? <laughs> Okay, I like veins like in your body. No, no, no. Well, I mean, that would be cool, though. I mean that. But, and then underneath those veins, if you will, there are two other circles that are actually rotating selector knobs with little screens on them. Yeah. And those screens change depending on context of what mode the vehicle is in and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so... so- adjusting anything... So basically, the car is never set up... Like, that's my question is... The car is set up in a, in a particular way, and for you to put it back into your custom mode or to adjust those settings seems to be a headache. You need to you need to use these thumb pads. You need to rotate a bunch of knobs on the on the thing like you're tuning an old fashioned television. <laughs> like I don't know what or playing etch a sketch on your on Sammy, your. Sammy, there's also a touchpad <laughs> that controls almost everything you need to do with MBUX. Um, right. So I'll, I will say this. I never touched those little rotating controls on the steering wheel because what you can, what they usually do, it, it, for for the most part, they affect the driving mode, stability right. control, that kind of thing. You can do that elsewhere, and I did that elsewhere. So if you don't want to use them, you don't have to. But you do have to use those little thumb things, at least one of them for gauge cluster stuff. And that was wildly frustrating to me. I can't imagine anyone really getting um, super excited about this, like, etch-a-sketch wannabe situation. These two knobs... I've seen it. There's these two knobs that you turn to turn on, like, your suspension setting or your exhaust setting or your your traction control or whatever it is. And it's just like, what do you... Just put the car in sport mode and let's get going. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, other aspects of the car... There was one other thing about the car that I could not get comfortable in the front seat. And that was super weird. I took it on a road what? trip. Yeah, I took it on a road trip, fairly long road trip. And by the end, my back was like, oof, this is not great. It was a lumbar thing. I just couldn't figure it out. It's weird because I drove another Mercedes immediately after and I didn't have that issue. So I don't know if it's AMG specific seats. It doesn't seem to be an E-Class thing because it was also an E-Class. So anyway... Um, even, did you have massage seats? Did those help yes. at all? Yes, I did have massage seats. Um, that's interesting. Still no good. And that's really interesting. I, I found this a lot with these executive vehicles. It's like the sixth time I said interesting in like two seconds. So and I'll, you, and I'll executive. Say executive again. No, but in terms of those executive um, sedans. <laughs> I got you to do it. Yes, thank you. Um, I sometimes find that the seats are not particularly plush. They're like these really kind of stiff. Like, they feel like office seats, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, seats are... I'm always hesitant to criticize seats because it's so personal. Like, everyone likes different things in terms of how they're supported in a car. And that's why vehicle seats have so many different forms of adjustment. It can be overwhelming how many different things you can adjust and accidentally adjust to a way that you don't like. And then you can't do anything about it ever again. That's that's how all Lincolns work with their 40-way adjustment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly like that. It's it's totally the Lincoln playbook. But, uh, you know, just for me, I couldn't get comfortable. Uh, But that doesn't mean that someone else might not love it. Okay, let's get back to driving this car. Um, you said you're, it was a little uncomfortable. It could feel hesitant. Um, steering, suspension, what's that like in this vehicle? 
It's perfectly fine. As I mentioned, arm's length, very high-speed experience. It's not the kind of car that I really looked forward to driving. Here's what's really strange about this. I love this car as a concept. I think it's really, really neat. I'm glad that it's built. Personally, I think I enjoyed the RS6 more just because it was easier to drive on a daily basis. And it also looked cooler. Um, is that because there were fewer knobs on the steering wheel? Well, the MMI system is way easier to use. There's no question about that. But I, it's more a function of the... It has a, a ZF transmission in it, the 8-speed, I believe. I think that's ah. what the RS6 has. And that's a great transmission. I have no complaints about that in any context. Again, the RS6 was also arms-like performance. It's not a not a very engaging car to drive. But... Uh, the Audi was more extroverted. The Mercedes is really easy to blend under the radar. I had far more people approaching me about the bright red Audi compared to the silver um, E63, even though I had like a full carbon package on it and everything. It just kind of blends in. I think it's it's the kind of car that needs to be out there. It's such an anachronism in a world where everyone has gone to SUVs. But I think it's a great way for people who have a ton of money they want to spend on a car to make an individual choice in a world where those kind of choices are few and far between. Interesting. Um, I want, again, I, I, it's my catchphrase of the podcast, apparently. Well, I mean, um, it's, would you put that phrase in the executive summary of this podcast, too? Uh, yeah, totally. Okay. I've heard from Mercedes that their highest income owners all own um, E63 wagons. I know that doesn't mean a lot to our listeners or to you, but it seems like it's not a only... It, it might not be a, a household's-only vehicle, which I find very interesting. No, of course not. I, I, don't, I don't... That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean... It, it, it seems like a vehicle that can do almost anything you wanted to do, but it still sounds like it's compromised or, or lacking in certain ways that some owners have gone to get another vehicle as well. What do you mean lacking in some ways? Well, I mean, it's not as refined or luxurious or high-end or comfortable I think it's, or sporty. I think it's super luxurious. Uh, but you just said you were uncomfortable in it. Yeah, I was uncomfortable in the seats. I don't think that's really saying anything about the lack of luxury in the car. Mm. That was just my experience with it. Okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to generalize that experience. I will say it has so much cargo space. We were moving stuff into a storage locker and... Tires? Were they tires? No, not this time. Uh, but I put, initially put the seats down because I thought we would need to with all the boxes we had. And then by the time I'd loaded the car, I realized that I didn't need to do that at all. And I just popped the seats back up. Like something like 34 yeah. or 35 cubic feet uh, with the seats up. So it's... I do that all the time with my Outback because I'm like, ah, my Outback has folding rear seats. I will fold down the rear seats. And then you get to it and you're like, I didn't need to do that at all. No, and... I did. I did end up transporting a shovel in it. And I, I had to put the seat down for that just because of the length. So yeah, right. it's, it's useful. But uh, it's a very practical and versatile vehicle. Um it's just, I, I it, you know, people say don't meet your heroes. This is kind of one of those moments for me. I think I had really high expectations. And what I got instead was modern Mercedes luxury and speed. And that's okay because that's popular and good, but not necessarily to my tastes. I've noticed that this isn't, first of all, you've driven a couple of AMGs recently. I think you drove that GLE AMG recently, right? Yeah, it was like a month and a half ago, I think. And I remember you having a somewhat lukewarm response to it, mainly asking, "Who is this for? Why does it exist?" Well, the, yeah, but that, yeah, that's because it was a it was a coupe. Oh, right. So my question is: Are these indications of AMG? Like, is there a is there a path? Has AMG stri- stri- like wandered off the path? No, are they not, not as in- interesting to enthusiasts anymore? What's like, more, I mean, what's more inter- What's more interesting than a crazy six hundred horsepower wagon? It's a very interesting vehicle. It's okay. just not something that I liked as much as I thought it would. Okay. 
I mean, I think this is a great vehicle that has a few flaws that most people won't care about. That's... I think you're you're pretty. Um, I won't call, I won't say like brave. I think you're a brave guy, anyways. But I think it was really interesting for you to say that you know you appreciate that the vehicle exists, but you find you find that it's not like the right sort of combination of pieces um, in the segment. I mean, if you like the RS6 more, and you know, I'm sure you might get the opportunity to drive that Panamera wagon. Um, it, it, it'll it'll It's interesting to see how Mercedes, who's been doing this for a while, has not set has not yet kept with the times. Well, I think that it's not a question of Mercedes keeping up with the times either. I think it's we have currently three flavors of speed wagon available, and that's a good thing. You know, right. for all the things that I liked about the RS6 and wasn't so hot on for the AMG, it's entirely possible someone feels the opposite way. And ultimately, yeah, I don't like being I don't like being in an extroverted car. That's insane. Yeah, ultimately, for the person who's buying the car, more choice is always better. So the fact that these cars aren't carbon copies of each other is great because so many SUVs are carbon copies of SUVs. There's really very little difference between them. And Audi and Mercedes being able to differentiate their wagons is, I think, that's great. Okay, cool. Anything else you want to talk about about your your experience in the E sixty three or M bucks or the sound of those AMG turbo turbo V eight? No, whatever. I think I think that's pretty good. I mean, it's a great. It's it's usually the engine I like very much. I mean, the AMG GT, the coupe, yeah, is a fantastic vehicle. And it's the, so cool. The four door version of the AMG GT has the same platform as this wagon. So I did not have this on a racetrack, but I have no doubts that it would you know turn in crazy lap times if that's what you want to do. Um, you have you have put the AMG GT four door on a on a track, right? I've never driven the AMG GT. Oh, okay, my mistake. I can't remember. You put one. I thought I thought it was a non coupe on the track, but no, I can't remember. No, you're crazy. Okay, you're that losing, sounds about right. Losing your mind, Sammy. I am forget. I'm forgetting things. It's Unnamed easy. forgettable podcast. Oh, oh man, speak. Yeah. So, <laughs> what? speaking of tell them? forgetting things, yeah. So last night I had a conversation with Sammy. Where I came across a vehicle called the Chevrolet Trailblazer. And I was like, man, this has to be a typo. Chevy only has the Blazer, not the Trailblazer. I sent a screenshot of it to Sammy. Sammy replies with, you drove this vehicle last year. Not only did you drive it, but you liked it. And then he started sending me quotes from the conversations we'd had about the Trailblazer. And then he sent me a link to the episode where I discussed my experience behind the wheel. So... Ladies and gentlemen, and and non-binary listeners, uh, you've listened to you've you've driven too many cars that you forget. Now you forget something so is many wrong. That, <laughs> that old ones are falling out of your brain, out of your memory. The garage, the, the brain garage, has <laughs> run out of run out of room, and the trailblazers are getting squeezed out the back exit. That's really how it feels. I also lo- love that it was the trailblazer, and you specifically liked the car. And you forgot about it. I love that. I completely forgot that it existed. (laughs) If it was a real forgettable car that you didn't like, that would have made sense to me. But I was like, I thought you liked the Trailblazer. Why is he dragging on it? So everyone who's listening or is tuning out now because my credibility has been completely (laughs) shot... Yeah, I just that's a little behind the scenes peek at what it's like to have our lifestyle. <laughs> that's right, or just your our brains essentially. Um, I want to talk about some crossovers while we have it, and some might call them forgettable, but I will. I might argue against that. Um, the first one is the Mitsubishi Outlander. It's the 2022 model. Uh, I drove it back in April, and uh, I drove it again because I wanted to compare it to another another 
crossover. Now, the reason I want to talk about the Outlander is that it has a special trick that's um, kind of reserved or exclusive in its class. Unlike the rogue that it's based on, the Outlander can be equipped with seven seven seats. Okay, three rows of seats. This is rare in the compact um, crossover segment. And why is it rare, Sammy? Because it's not usually useful. Um, It's it's almost never useful. Right. This is for somebody who very rarely needs a third row, but it's there when when you need it. And it usually does (laughs) eat into um, cargo space. I mean, it's there when you need it, as long as you only need it for very small children. (laughs) Exactly. And Yeah, exactly. Now, the the other car that I had um, at the same time, was another seven-seater, but a class um, above. I think technically a class above. This is the Kia Sorento. And this can be equipped with seven seats as well. It is slightly larger. I would call it like a mid-sized crossover. Um, And the trim level I had was mid-level for that and a high, fully loaded Outlander. So would you rather get a fully kitted out compact crossover or a mid-level but larger um, alternative? I think it it fully depends on your needs. And it's great, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, you know, these two, the the Audi and the Mercedes wagons being different and giving you actual choices. I think that once you broaden your outlook outside of the segment that you initially started in, you start to find choices like this. Right. And so let's be clear. If you need, if you need three rows of seating, I would, I would really advise against getting a crossover almost in any, in any segment. I think a minivan is probably the best choice. I know they're not cool, but they are extremely practical. They're easy to live with. They are just – they will make your life so much easier um, in, 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 that, in that situation. Or if you get a Ford Flex. Mad respect I love Ford I Flex. I the Ford Flex. It had a good three-row situation. Not going to lie. because it was so boxy you couldn't really interfere with, like, headroom, right, in that yeah. third row. <laughs> this is, unless you had a right-angle head, you were going to be <laughs> totally cool back there. Or maybe an obtuse angle. Yes. Um, however, not all minivans nowadays come with all-wheel drive, so crossovers might be um, more appealing in that case. And both of these cars that I drove had um, all-wheel drive. Let me just quickly talk about the Outlander. Let's, let's lay down its pros and cons. Um, pros, it's surprisingly premium from, from Mitsubishi and, um, the model I had costs, um, I had this here. Let me just make sure I have it right. 30. Wow. Uh, that's too much. 38,590. Okay. That's including all wheel drive. That's including the optional touring package, um, which makes it as premium as I mentioned. So under 40 grand for a seven seater, uh, Mitsubishi Outlander, seven-seater asterisk. Yes, and it has everything. It has heated. It has a heated steering wheel, heated front and rear seats. It has a head-up display, um, navigation. It has um, lane keeping assist and all that jazz. Really impressive in terms of those features. However, once you get in and start fiddling around with the vehicle, I think quality is a bit of a concern. I uh, I wrote in my review of it that um, just touching some of the knobs and the gear stick. They feel like they've been stuck on with um, with chew, chewing gum, Ooh. like they wobble they wobble around a bit, and that just doesn't feel really high end, right? And you're going to be messing with the volume knob or the gear stick all the time. But my question is, do you expect really high end from a Mitsubishi product? Well, the, the the other part of this is it's not totally Mitsubishi. We've had this conversation. No, before. it's 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 a Nissan. We understand that. But I mean, if you're paying, like, are people willing to pay forty grand? For a high-end Mitsubishi, are people or are people going into the Mitsubishi dealership because they want the base model because it's a good value? 
Mm, that's a good point. The base the base model isn't too um, uh, isn't too pricey. Um, I'll just make sure I'm I'm not making that up. The uh, two wheel drive model is twenty five grand. Okay, so that's very competitive. Right, and again, I, I think you get seven seaters seven seats in that one too. I don't think so actually, but I'll double check. Um, the the thing is though, once you get that fully loaded model. The interior is quite attractive looking. Quilted leather seats is, is not something you you see every day. No. It's becoming more common. I, I just haven't gotten up with the times. Well, I mean, it's it's common enough that it's made its way into a Mitsubishi. <laughs> is, that a, is that a thing we should be concerned about? What do you mean? Um, <laughs> it's the Mitsubishi quilted seats index. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it has all those features. It has a really good adaptive cruise control system. And um, lane-keeping assistance system, because it's, it is essentially ripped off from Nissan, who has been working on this for a long time. Wow, ripped off. That's harsh words. You make it sound like it was like an industrial espionage kind of situation where Mitsubishi was like, okay, get this. We're going to well, build a vehicle that's exactly like was, the Rogue, but they the can never know. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was Mitsubishi put its, its, its open palms up and said, please... Can I have Please, a car? sir, can I have some crossover? <laughs> exactly. And Nissan said, yeah, here. Um, and again, I think we've had this discussion. The new Rogue is extremely class competitive. I think it's among the best in its class. Um, and the fact that Mitsubishi has exactly the same things going for it, but with a, with a third row, is not a bad thing. Do you think However, Mitsubishi was like, we need to be different and a third row is the way to do that? Or do you think this is just, mm-hmm. is that the whole yeah, reason? Definitely. I think that's 100% their their play here and does it cost more than a rogue it i think it costs more than a rogue yes okay and um i also think they have a longer warranty than than nissan all right the other issue with sorry the main issue i have with the um with the outlander is it has a really mundane engine a 2.5 liter four-cylinder engine that i think makes 180 horsepower or something and it just does not get you going anywhere in a hurry and i understand that these cars don't have to be that fast but it just it adds extra confidence for, for when you have that much power um, and you have a powertrain that is sort of knows what to do with it. And I just don't think this car, it, it feels so much more appliance-like. It feels so much more mundane than it could be if it had a better powertrain. I get it. So then that brings us to the Sorento, which has a third row. It is, I'll say, marginally um, more accommodating than the Outlander, where the Sorrento's, uh, where the Sorrento feels more accommodating is actually in the second row because it's not a bench seat back there. It can actually be um, sort of captain seats, if I remember correctly. Um, and that means that you have more space in that second row. The car feels a little bit less cramped, which is cool, right? And in terms of know? interior, I have to imagine that the key has a step above. So, again, um, the model I had was not a fully loaded model. So we're talking about um, a difference in terms of um, material choice. So our model had leather um, trimmed seats, not like fully leather seats. They had more cloth seats than, than leather, if that makes sense. Yeah, but when you're touching stuff inside the car, like you mentioned that things just The wobbly felt, controls. They yeah. felt, yeah, like tacked on. You get that same feeling with the Kia? No, you get the opposite. You get everything a feeling much more tactile. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I also think that there's a lot of trickle down from the Telluride and the Stinger in terms of design and sort of uh, trim appointments. So you've got a vehicle that feels and looks far more um, put, like thoughtfully put together 
Um, and I think that's that's an adva- advantage for the Sorrento. Again, I had a trim level, a trim, a mid tier trim level. It cost um, thirty five before adding all wheel drive. Let me make sure I know what I'm talking about. All wheel drive is an extra eighteen hundred bucks. So it cost thir- just under thirty seven thousand dollars. So actually a little bit cheaper than this um, Outlander. Um, and you also get a turbocharged. 2.5 liter four cylinder engine with 280 horsepower, almost a hundred more than the um, Outlander. I was so, going to ask you about that because you're also going to be getting more towing capacity, not just because of the power, but also the larger platform. Uh, and the balance on that is fuel economy might not be as good, right? Right. The fuel economy is definitely a, a, a different. Uh, you've got an eight speed dual clutch in, on this Sorento. Um, it gets 24 miles per gallon combined. In comparison to this 2.5 liter non-turbocharged um, Outlander, you're not going to see that kind of. Uh, you're going to see far better fuel economy, um, which uses a CVT instead. So let me make sure I've got the right figure. 31 miles per gallon on the highway, which is pretty good, and 24. The worst it can do is what the um, Sorento does in combined settings. 24. Okay. Um, so this brings up the the always important question, right? Like. Should you get more car for your money, right? No, you should always get the car you need, the right amount of car you need. And I know it's super tempting to like supersize things like you're at McDonald's or the movie theater and it's only 25 cents more to get a full-size F-150 versus the Ranger. But you have to think about the care and feeding of all this stuff. Bigger vehicles use more gas, eat up tires quicker, and just generally are harder on parts like the heavier they are. And they're harder to park. And all that stuff that you can't see out of them as well, necessarily. You have to consider all those things when you're thinking, oh, you know, I could just upsize for another $100 a month or $50 a month on my on my payment. That That's my right. opinion. Um, I'm going to add the following um, situations with the Sorento. It doesn't have the same um, adaptive cruise controls and lane keeping uh, features that um, that the, out, the Outlander has at that price point. And additionally, if you get a more premium Sorento, you actually lose the third row of seating. Wow. So you're kind of stuck at this level. I mean, you're stuck yeah. if this is specifically what you want. Right. Okay. So, again, you would, I, I would recommend a minivan or maybe another three-row crossover instead. Um, it's interesting to have that much choice. Again, interesting. I need to stop this. I think we should have a swear jar for the word interesting. Um, and... I will say that it's a, it's difficult to tell people to get the decontented vehicle um, over one that has every feature you could think of. But assuming you want those features, yeah. If you're looking for more power, more space, you'll get that in the Sorento. If you're looking for uh, more features, more uh, safety features, you'll get that in the in the Outlander. It's a very interesting. Man, I'm gonna shoot myself for saying this so many times. <laughs> let's 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 uh let's audition some different words for interesting. Uh intriguing. It's a it's it's a spot that fascinating. I, first of all, I don't think I, I don't think Mitsubishi would have ever considered that their vehicle should be cross shopped with a Sorento Beguiling. despite it getting that that seven that seven theater situation. And um but some customers may be making that that decision or maybe cross shopping that way, and I think it's worthwhile to talk about. I feel like there's one area maybe where going a size bigger does make sense, and that's when you're looking at a very compact um, luxury car versus a 
somewhat larger standard version. Like if you're looking at something like a BMW X2, which we've kind of talked about as being more of a hot hatch than a crossover, yep. and you can get like a fully loaded RAV4 for less money or same money. I think. I mean, that- if you want to, if you want to maintain a, a level of premium features, you could even get like a, I would say a Mazda CX-5. Yeah, so I, I think there's maybe what I was saying before is there's a level of practicality above which if you rise, you're prob- unless you specifically need it, it doesn't make sense to go higher than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you're – you can also put yourself in a corner and constrain yourself and end up with a vehicle that isn't as useful as you thought it was. So I think maybe it's more of a delicate balance than what I was saying. Just The, the blanket never supersize me is probably not the best statement to make. <laughs> okay, I understand. Um, in this case, I actually did, did like the the Elmer. I think for more people, it actually might be the more um, accommodating vehicle. But for those who are looking for power, who are looking for a little bit more, um, they aren't looking for premium features. Then the Sorento will will do the fit. Will will fit the bill. All right. Anything else you um, want to say about comparing these two vehicles? No, but I do want to talk about um, a comment that a a listener had. Um, he reached out to me on Twitter. He said he just listened to the podcast where we talked about the terrain, which was a short while ago. Um, and he asked, does it make you mad when you see how many of them and Equinoxes they sell? He Sammy, says, I what makes you mad? Members. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I've never really thought about that. I think, uh, I think, um, lying makes me, makes me mad. Like lying dis- to yourself? Yeah. Or maybe disappointed. Okay. Anyways, he says uh, he's got family members that don't look anywhere, just keep buying Equinoxes. He got in one recently, and they're just not competitive. So I have to answer, does it make me mad when I see uh, vehicles that I don't find competitive selling in such volume? And I will say, no. It, again, it kind of disappoints me, but it, it is rational because I know that a lot of shoppers um, are, find the, the, a new car buying situation to be a headache. Um there are pushy salespeople. There's, it can be very high-pressure environments, and there are sometimes way too many options. And the prospect of shopping all over the place or getting a different dealer um, or finding new financing or rolling a new lease deal somewhere else it just can be too much for some people to bear with, and they just end up going with the people and the car that they know and are most comfortable with, even if it isn't the most competitive in the segment, right? I also think that whenever I see a vehicle or see a lot of a certain type of vehicle that I know isn't competitive, I realize that you know price sensitivity is a real thing. And mm-hmm. a lot of times companies like GM especially are able to move cars that aren't necessarily great but are very good deals because they put huge incentives on them. So people mm-hmm. are able to pick up these cars for much less than, say, a, a, a competitive vehicle from a company that doesn't offer the same types of incentives. And then you start really pulling away. Like if your vehicle is five or six grand cheaper than the competitor that's the same size ostensibly and is a segment leader. Yeah, you'll forgive, you know, poor you know, trim in the cabin or something. Yeah, and you look at it differently, too. Your whole shopping experience, I think, changes. For real. Uh, So it's not that it makes me mad. I think I understand. Yeah, Uh, I I always just assume they got a really good deal. (laughs) Exactly, for for real. Um, Okay, I think that's it for this week's episode, Ben. What do you think? I think that if people want to ask you questions on Twitter, 
the best way for them to do that is to shout out at Sammy underscore hot like you're laughing. Or you can reach me on Instagram. It's at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can even email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or if you only have access to the web, you can go to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com and there's a contact form there. Fill that out, send us a message, and we will get it directly. Additionally, when you go to our website, you can see all of our previous episodes, photos of the cars that we've been driving, and links to the stories that we've written about them. Um, I will also tell people about our Ko-Fi page. That's ko-fi slash unnamed automotive podcast uh, or dot com slash unnamed automotive podcast. This is where you can um, send us a few dollars to to let us know that you like what we're doing. Um, It helps us keep the lights on. Well, we do the podcast in pure darkness, but it helps pay for our night vision goggles. That we exactly. These night vision goggles are pretty sweet, I'm going to say. <laughs> I love them. So, um, yeah, head on over to our Ko-Fi site, our Ko-Fi page, um, if you like what we're doing, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. Ben. Yes. Yeah. Are we going to talk about next week? Uh, yeah. Next week, uh, I'm going to be driving a Mercedes-Benz E450 convertible, Sammy. And I'm going to listen to you talk about it. Um, because I just don't feel like talking about whatever car I have this week. Ooh, that's, those are harsh <laughs> words. All right, well, no, thank you, everyone, and we will, I guess, I mean, you'll see me next week, Sammy. It's up in the air. I'll be there.